2: Hi everyone and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Alex Yule, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today. Today I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Tay Kim and Connor Smith, who both cover tech for Barron's. Today I thought we would have a little bit of fun and do something slightly different. So we're we're gonna dive into a feature that Connor and Tay just published about Nintendo. Uh, This is a company that I'm guessing most of our listeners have at least some knowledge of, either because you grew up playing Nintendo games or you have family members that play them. But just a quick background on Nintendo. So for more than 40 years, it's a company that's always been a large part of our entertainment fabric, but it's also a company that never quite seems to get its due. And for investors, it's been a source of frustration because the Japanese management team has been pretty conservative with its strategy. Nintendo has been slow to embrace smartphones, and slow to really try to squeeze more out of its hugely loved characters like Mario, Luigi and Donkey Kong. But now there's signs that some of that may be changing, given the really surprising success of the new Mario movie that's pulled in way more than a billion dollars at the box office. And then there's also a growing roster of Nintendo theme parks. And so over time, there's more of this chance now that Nintendo could start to look a little more like Disney. And we think that could be a huge opportunity for investors. So, with that, I want to bring in Connor and Tay. Hey, guys. Hey, Alex. Hi, Alex. So, this past weekend, you guys co authored a feature in Barron's explaining why investors should take another look at Nintendo stock. So, first of all, let's start with why did we write this story now? Connor, you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, right now, Nintendo is really on a bit of a hot streak. They released the Mario movie that you mentioned, and right now it's climbing the global box office charge. I think it's, it's nearing the orig- original Frozen, which would put it in perspective because I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen that movie with their kids before plenty of times. Uh, but right now Nintendo is really kind of clicking on all cylinders. Uh, they just released The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which is the sequel to its hugely popular Breath of the Wild game. Uh, and already over three days, Tears of the Kingdom hit 10 million sales, which is the fastest-selling Zelda game of all time. But the thing we like about Nintendo right now is they really have these this stable of very popular and globally recognized characters that they're starting to really tap into. You know, the Mario movie kind of really... Crushed expectations because a lot of people, you know, weren't were weren't really expecting that from Nintendo. Just because Nintendo's been kind of so, they they kind of hold on to their IP very tightly, and in general, they really don't like other people working with their characters. Uh, and it seems like that tide is changing, and you can kind of see the power of these characters with, you know, the money they're grossing and on. On top of that, they're also expanding into the theme park business, which brings another comparison to Disney. Um, So our our main point on the IP side is basically as Nintendo starts to experiment and kind of become more comfortable monetizing their characters, what you're going to see is the company's gonna take more risks. Uh, They're going to kind of expand maybe into TV shows or spin-off movies featuring some of their other characters like Metroid or Zelda and they're really going to have an opportunity to become a global entertainment empire as opposed to just a global inter- video game giant.
2: Yeah. Uh, no,
1: and right
2: so tell us a little bit I mean um, it, it, we shouldn't underestimate I think probably the power of the Mario movie. I mean it's not it's not going to result in immediate changes in in game sales probably for nintendo but you know we've seen what can happen with let's just use marvel as an example right when um marvel turned there's billions and billions of dollars have been made out of these marvel characters now Um, is it
1: reasonable to think that nintendo could do something similar right now it's more of a wait and see approach they're definitely is the potential for the kind of franchise, maybe not on the level of, of Marvel, because I mean, you, you see how many movies they put out every year, but certainly there's potential for a large franchise that would get Hollywood executives excited, especially now because we're at, kind of at a point where streaming is starting to pull back on spending. So there's executives right now are kind of looking for safe options yeah. and there's, the Mario movie kind of proves that Nintendo's franchises are safe. Yeah, and and Tay, you've written about kind
2: of the power of, because I think this is worth addressing, you've written about the power of video games just broadly in entertainment and, and film and how, in a lot of ways, that's been underestimated over the years. That maybe is getting new appreciation too now, beyond just the Mario movie, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a mega trend
0: that people have been underestimating for years. I think it it was sparked off by The Witcher TV series, uh, which is based on the series of games uh, by a European developer. And it was a home run for Netflix. And it sparked just an array of new Hollywood kind of properties and TVs and movies. Um, We just saw HBO's Last of Us, which is based on a Sony video game, uh, being the most viewed and the biggest success for HBO Max ever. And so we're, we're just seeing this mega trend where video game IP is just more powerful than ever uh, Sonic was a huge movie before the Mario movie and I think Sony has like a half a dozen properties uh, in in the pipeline for movies and TV shows yeah. so it really shows the power of these franchises to bring in people and really spark that feedback loop that Connor mentioned where you know maybe you get introduced to a franchise by going to a movie theater and then you go to a theme park or you buy merchandise and then you might buy the, the game. I, I think Nintendo mentioned uh, after the big success of the Mario movie, a lot of their Mario games are, are selling more than they have they have in the past,
2: in the recent past. Got it. And And I think what's so, to me, what's so interesting about Nintendo is that Certainly, Disney has figured this out, right? No one. Disney may continue to do very well with this kind of flywheel on this trend, but, but they've already tapped into it. Nintendo, really, is at just the very beginning of, of this potential, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, Mario's the first big one, and we could definitely... I mean, with the success of Zelda, I'm sure we'll talk about more uh, how it's been a record-breaking uh, result so far. Yeah. yeah. Um, A Zelda game would, I mean, a Zelda movie would be awesome or a TV series. Um, One of my favorite uh, franchises is Metroid. And to think of like a Mandalorian type TV series with that character is just so awesome.
2: Right. And and, and Connor mentioned this idea that Hollywood is looking for safe options. They don't want to be stuck spending hundreds of millions of dollars producing a film that doesn't do well. And so if you use one of these well-known franchises your chances at least are better that you're going to get a return on your investment.
0: It's not just better. I think it's a slam dunk. I mean, right, right. you have tens of millions of people there that love this IP and franchise uh, in the case of Witcher. And it's just very easy to bring that audi- audience in uh, uh, for the TV show and movie.
2: Okay. And just can you right. guys quickly, I'm sorry, I just kind of for our, for our listeners. So the, Nintendo is a Japanese company. It trades in Japan, There is a ADR though, for people who are um, interested in potentially investing in Nintendo, right? Or for Americans that are investing.
0: Yes, so there's this ADR called NT-DOI, N-T-D-O-Y. It's supported by a bunch of top banks and gives you uh, exposure to the Japanese stock. And it is fairly well traded, right? It's, it trades, I think a million shares a day. It's very, uh, it's pretty liquid and that's a good way for US investors to get access to Nintendo.
2: Okay, great, so now we have that. Um, Connor, you talked a little bit about Zelda. It came out on Friday. It was this much awaited sequel, um, for Nintendo's current switch console. You reported that it sold 10 million copies in its first, um, three days. Can you just give us a little more context around that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a really big deal. Basically the opening makes it the fastest selling, Zelda game globally, and also the fastest-selling Nintendo game in the Americas. Uh, uh, another important dis- distinction for this game is it's ten dollars more than virtually every other Switch t- title. So, you know, Nintendo's getting more bang for their buck from this game. Uh,
2: it's what, reached 70 out bucks,
1: seventy bucks a pop now. Yes, it's seventy dollars. So, and this is really the first big Nintendo game that's gone to the seventy dollar price point to my knowledge. So, I mean, that's that's pretty much $700 million. Obviously there's, you know, other foreign currency exchanges and things like that, but that's a huge launch. Uh, by comparison, the other big blockbuster game so far this year uh, that gave sales numbers was Hogwarts Legacy, which is kind of based on the Harry Potter wizard, wizarding world. Uh, it sold 12 million copies in the first two weeks so, I mean, three days versus two weeks, and another important distinction is Hogwarts was available on PC, PS5, and Xbox's next-gen consoles, whereas Zelda is only the Switch, which is Nintendo's own ecosystem. Right. So, you know, not only is it more impressive that they sold, you know, so many games only on their own console, but also the margins are better because it's their own ecosystem, so they're not, you know, giving cuts to a Sony or a Microsoft of the world. You know, they're. They're the first-party publishers, so that's, yes, you know, right. where and they benefit.
2: For anyone out there that's sort of still wondering, Nintendo, why are we talking about this? It's kind of a small company. So I just want to re- kind of reiterate what you just pointed out, right? So Harry Potter, which I don't think anyone would question is one of, like, the biggest name, you know, biggest franchises in entertainment history, right? What, seven, six movies, seven movies, more to come in streaming. It sold 12 million copies in two weeks. Zelda sold 10 million in three days. I mean, so we are... I I just want to point out and and, and reiterate that this is shows like what level Nintendo is playing
1: on here um, in terms of major entertainment brands. Right. And I think because Nintendo one is a video game company, so maybe it's not on everyone's radar. If you're not a gamer, you might kind of be oblivious to some of the, you know, the cultural impact of some of these games. And also it's a Japanese company. So, you know, not all investors. A lot of investors may not be looking at it. Yeah, yeah. No,
2: I think that's a really important point. And I remember from times I've covered Nintendo in past years, it, it, it's, it is um, the, the Japanese culture when it comes to, um, to marketing, to how they talk to investors, it is very different. And I think a lot of Wall Street analysts, or at least the ones that still cover Nintendo, would tell you it's a source of frustration that's potentially, um, you know, maybe it, it's probably helped them over the course of 40 years. But year to year, I think it's something that probably holds back the stock.
1: so
2: yeah, you know. yeah. Um, okay why don't we um, let's see where we should we should go next Tate you want to give us a little more of a, of a sense of kind of the financials and, and why um, even despite all this good news around Nintendo the stock at this point still looks um, attractive
0: so we have we had all these positive headlines with the Mario movie and the anticipation for the Zelda game but In terms of the stock, the stock hasn't really done that well. It's been lagging the major tech indexes and major benchmarks. Uh, It's down about 30% since early 2021. And the reason is uh, we're very long into the Nintendo Switch console cycle. So typically, consoles last five to six years before they come out with a new, faster, better one. And the Switch is going in on year seven. So the the financial numbers have started to falter and sputter. Uh, Nintendo just reported their last fiscal year, profits. operating profits were down 15%. Uh, sales of the Switch console were down 22%. So there's a lot of these short-term financial numbers that have been coming weaker than expected and, and pretty poor in terms of negative growth. But I, I, think, I think we think that that's the opportunity because this bad news is good news in the sense that As these numbers start to come down, because the cycle is kind of getting long in the tooth, it makes it more likely that Nintendo is going to release their next generation console. And typically when that happens, uh, if it's a good console generation, we'll talk about that later, um, all all this new software comes out. like You can expect a new Mario, a new Mario Kart, Animal Crossing. And as people upgrade to the faster, better console, you're going to have this reacceleration of earnings and sales. And, and the reason why that's such a great opportunity is, uh, right now, even at this depressed level of financials, the stock is trading at 19 times earnings. If you take the $14 billion, they have a ton of cash. If you take that cash out, it's trading at a reasonable 13 times earnings. And this is on the, the depressed financial estimates. If the switch follow-up comes out and you get this reacceleration of of profits and revenue, it, these numbers are gonna go higher. In terms of earnings and profits, and it's going to make the valuation even lower. Yeah. So I, I think it's a really good uh, setup for investors once the new console comes out.
2: And for anyone worried about you know the slowing consumer uh, outlook and, and weakening spending, I think that the the fact that the numbers we just got from from Zelda suggests that even if consumers are worried, this is a place they're still putting putting their money.
1: Yeah, and I would even add that right now with consumers facing higher costs you know with a lot of the staples and things like that they're they're kind of being more judicious with their spending and what that means is they're either going to look for bargain bin titles or they're going to look for high quality titles where they're getting good bang for their buck yeah. and that's that latter bit is kind of Nintendo's bread and butter because Nintendo puts these high quality blockbusters and then they charge 60 or 70 dollars for them and they do not lower their prices and that those kind of titles are really the ones that consumers are turning to right now and that's where we got the numbers from hogwarts legacy and it was so much bigger than people expected and now zelda is bigger than people expected like there's an appetite for gaming as long as consumers feel like they're getting value out of that and That is a trend that's really benefiting Nintendo and it's actually hurting a lot of firms that invested in mobile gaming because you know you can play a mobile game for free you don't have to spend money, a lot of those games, you know you might get boosts or you might. Have you might have to wait less time depending on the game if you spend money, but you don't have to do that if you're kind of deciding on what to spend money on you might cut mobile games before you cut back on like blockbuster games right, that would give right. you, you know, 60, 100 hours of entertainment.
2: And so that little picture into consumer spending and consumer behavior, I think, is really interesting. so But basically what we're seeing is consumers are still willing to spend big on a, on a game they know and a game they know will give them hours of entertainment. But these little $1 to $2 fees they might have paid for Candy Crush type games seems to be where they actually are pulling back.
0: And Connor's really spot on on this blockbuster thing where a lot of the money is going to the bigger titles. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing uh, kind of the middle tier publishers and mid-sized games really falter over the last like 3 to 12 months. Square Enix, uh, Octopack Traveler, which is a great game, but it, it isn't the AAA blockbuster with the you know 100 to $300 million uh, production values. So right, we're right. seeing this trend towards the AAA big games and that plays right into Nintendo sweet spot.
2: Okay. And I want to pick up on that and maybe the little tangent here, because as we speak, shares of take two interactive are up 12%. Um, and that really, it, it's very much related to this big blockbuster game uh, trend. And uh, so Connor, tell us why, because you covered this uh, news last night around take two. Why, why are right. we, why is the stock suddenly up so much today?
1: Right. So Take-Two's earnings and even their outlook for the current fiscal year that ends in March 2024 were generally mixed. Uh, I spoke with their CEO, Strauss Zelnick, last night, and he told me the company's facing challenges due to inflation. And so the things we talked about, about, you know, picking and choosing which games uh, based on value and things like that. Uh, so why is Take-Two stock up 9 percent? The company did do something that got investors excited. Basically, they provided forecasts uh, for not this fiscal year, but the next fiscal year. They expect $8 billion in net, net bookings, which is a form of adjusted revenue. Uh, so that's fiscal 2025. And they expect additional growth in operating performance in fiscal 2026. So what does that mean? Uh, basically, it means Wall Street thinks that Grand Theft Auto 6 is coming on the horizon. Uh, the company has teased the sequel to Grand Theft Auto 5, but they have not provided you know many details. But by giving out that forecast, a lot of you know analysts are basically saying like what kind of title could drive that kind of revenue growth. And it's a blockbuster and the biggest blockbuster of them all is Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, so
2: I was gonna ask uh, people who aren't familiar with Grand Theft Auto, um, why is that? Why that name alone can drive take t- why can that name alone
1: drive take two up twelve percent? Why is this such a big deal? Right. So Grand Theft Auto Five has been dubbed the most financially successful media title of all time. Like that's more than movies, movies what have you? Grand Theft Auto Five is still printing money. The game itself has sold hundred and eighty million copies, and it released in September twenty thirteen. And to this day, it is selling millions of dollars in like in-game currency basically the the game has an online mode where people can spend real money to get virtual dollars that they can spend on you know items and all kinds of things and that is still a major source of revenue for take two interactive software what investors are hoping for grand theft auto 6 is you know a game that that big and maybe even better um so that's a That's kind of what people are excited about. So even if the near-term outlook for Take-Two is a bit mixed, there's a lot of excitement about the blockbusters that might be to come. And Strauss told me uh, they've been working on, quote, the most robust pipeline of titles in the company's history. uh, And he expects that to come to fruition, quote, meaningfully beginning in fiscal 24 with some great titles, but really accelerating in fiscal 25 and 26, which basically means, you know, there are big games coming in the years to come. Okay. And we know Grand Theft Auto is likely one of them.
2: Got it. Okay. All right. Um, first, of all, I want to remind uh, listeners. Uh, happy to try to take some a few questions here. We do have one, and it kind of uh, from Nicholas, and it gets to uh, one of the questions I was we were we were gonna I was gonna ask, which is. Uh, Nicholas says, what's next after Switch, uh, the, the Switch? And is there a timeframe for the new console rollout? So Tay hinted at this a little bit earlier and let's talk a little bit more. So one of Nintendo's um, issues has been, it's obviously very driven by the by its current generation of console. The Switch has been a massive hit. But if we look back one generation prior, the Wii U, it was called, was not a hit. Um, and Nintendo sort of had this on again, off again thing. And And I think investors are somewhat worried about that right that what's the follow-up to switch can they can they strike gold again or will they have a kind of a dud next so what are um i think both of you guys have some thoughts on this um tay do you want to do you want to start though what's next for nintendo and then are they going to finally break out of what you call the console hex i think
0: they will i mean it's a funny thing to call it the console hex but nintendo like you said has this history of going from flop to massive success. I mean, from GameCube to Wii, which was a huge home run, then the flop of the Wii U, and then this Switch console, which sold over 125 million units, which was another big success. So the obvious business move is for Nintendo to make something similar to the Switch. Because it's been so successful, creating a follow up with improved technical capabilities without taking a huge creative risk like the original Wii uh, which worked out, but sometimes it doesn't work out. Like w- with the Wii U, um, it, it just seems like the obvious business follow-up. And if they do that uh, in the next 12, 12, 12 months, is my best educated guess. Uh, it's going to be a great uh, success story for Nintendo.
2: Okay. Yeah. And and Connor, do you have anything? I mean, anything you want to want to add there? I mean, I, I guess one thing maybe we can we can talk a little bit about too is. Um, why don't you? How is Nintendo different? I mean, even if they do come out with the, the Switch, which has been so successful, is not nearly as technically um, uh, ex- capable as what what, so- what Sony has out in the PlayStation Five and what Nintendo has out in its Xbox uh, Series X, right? So, how is it that? Why is that? And you know, how how should people think about the difference in sort of the the technical
1: abilities of these of, of Nintendo's game systems. Right. So Tay mentioned the GameCube wasn't a huge success and one of the problems it had going for it is it was very comparable to uh, you know the Xbox and the PlayStation of that time and basically it just didn't sell very well. It was kind of a flop. So with the Wii they really came back with some major changes and they really doubled down on their focus on casual, casual players, like, you know, kids and older adults, and people who might be, you know, less, less intense gamers. So they doubled down on casual and they also uh, doubled down on especially children's games and what they they've kind of done, especially with the switch is perfected that by cultivating this niche where, you know, some gamers might want to have a playstation for their favorite sony games or for you know call of duty or things like that but they might also still have a switch just because nintendo's games are so good you know they nintendo has built an ecosystem that people want to be in and with the switch they also combine the ds essentially they they combine their mobile systems with their home consoles and it's really a beautiful form factor because the how you switch from a handheld device to your TV is very seamless. You literally just put it into this dock and all of a sudden you have a big screen experience or you could pick it up and you could take it with you on the train or whatever. Yeah. So like I me, mean, t- said, I think, I think the successor will build on the switch and you know have more firepower. It'll be able to handle more modern games, but at this, on the flip side, Nintendo has created, you know, an ecosystem where they don't need to have, you know, one-to-one competitive graphics with the PlayStation or even PC. And also their experiences, you know, are still pretty technically impressive. Like the new Zelda game is a gorgeous title, despite having graphics that are, you know, weren't super great even in 2017 when it came out. But, you know, because Nintendo is so good at developing for their own systems. They really were able to push the boundaries of the tech. And you can see that with some of the in-game physics engines and a lot of the features that really, a lot of game devs I saw on Twitter were very impressed and confused how Nintendo pulled off that game.
0: Yeah, I think Connor has a real good point on that. Like we shouldn't understate Nintendo's ability to innovate through kind of fun and gameplay. Um, especially with the Zelda game, they're innovating with all these experimental physics prototypes and and all these contraptions and they're playing in a different level than like PlayStation Xbox, which is, there's a lot of copycat games that iterate on the same kind of formula with better graphics. And Nintendo has this history of, you know, just making the gameplay uh, better and more innovative. So we have like, it was the first to really come out with a successful 2D platformer with the original Mario, Super Mario Brothers 1985. They're the first to come out with kind of 3D action platformer gameplay with a uh, Mario 64. And like Connor, you've talked about this new Zelda. It really innovates the gameplay and they take these fun gameplay, innovative risks that uh, the rest of the industry doesn't
2: do. And and I think, um... Connor, you noted there, uh, I think it was you to me earlier that you're starting to see a lot of Zelda, clips of Zelda uh, in your TikTok feed. Why is that and, and what does that tell us?
1: Yeah, I, I think this new Zelda game has really you know, caught on in the zeitgeist. I think there's a lot of people who are using this, the new features in the game, which basically there's an ability that lets you combine mundane items in the world around you. Like you can put trees together, you can chop down trees and put logs together and make a raft, but there's also way more technical things you can do. Like people are building rocket ships and wagons and tanks and all kinds of, you know, wild contraptions within this fantasy world. Uh, And that's really Really, kind of lend itself to these short form video clips where people are just sharing funny moments and things like that. So I've been seeing it all over TikTok and Twitter. I, I know Tay has as well. Yeah. Okay. Um,
2: all right. Well, I think let's let's wrap up here. We've spent, um, you know, we, we, I think this was really fascinating. I think I hope listeners have sort of taken both. Um, a lot of t- different takeaways here, both that Nintendo itself is probably just an under underappreciated asset, and just about a company that um, that plays the long game and how in, um, how investors can still benefit. But I'm going to take it back to the practical just quickly. Tay, you wrote in the story, or part of you know what you guys wrote in the story was, what kind of upside is really here for this stock? Can you just give us a sense? I mean, I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but... How does, what's the catalyst right now for for the stock and what do you see in the next couple of years?
0: So just taking a step back, uh, one of the analysts we talked to, the Jeffries analyst said that if the new switch comes out this fiscal year, which ends in March of 2024, it would beat the consensus earnings by 30%. And if we think about maybe a year or two out, um, when they do launch new consoles, they come out with you know two, three major games, say a new Mario or a new Mario Kart, um, and the software is what really drives profit- profitability because you know it's very easy to download and there isn't a lot of physical material. Right. Um, so if 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 we just keep the multiple where it is, which I think is very reasonable at 20 times, and it's even lower if you take the cash out as we said, and if you say they beat the current the press consensus by thirty percent, and then do a conservative thirty percent earnings growth the following year. I mean, you're talking like a seventy percent gain in the stock conservatively, as long as the console comes out with in the next twelve months, which which I think is very pro- possible because we're on year seven and the typical console cycle is five to six
2: years. Right, and so that's uh, just the stock keeping keeping up with earnings growth, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I don't want to get too crazy and bullish, but in prior cycles, uh, going into, uh, if the next console is very successful, the stock goes up four to five times. I mean, if Nintendo can hit another home run uh, for the next console cycle, historically, it's gone up multiples.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I think we're going to leave it there. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have. But guys, this was really, really, really great. So thanks, Tan and Connor, for being here. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. Please join us again tomorrow. Our colleagues from Investors Business Daily are going to be discussing strategies for finding great dividend stocks. So thanks again for listening and have a great day.
0: The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.